Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Third down, always a key stat. But to be successful on third down, it's often what teams do on first and second down. And on Sunday, the Cardinals needed to be better on those earlier downs. And that goes for the defense as well. That side of the ball is not without blame here. Some other leftovers from Sunday's action. Plus, at 6-6, six and six, what is the Cardinals' playoff outlook heading into Week 14? It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 366, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Murray rolls to the right, throws near side, defense caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. Here's Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. It has happened before, but not in the regular season. State Farm Stadium has hosted two Super Bowls and will host another one coming up in a couple of years. But last night, Monday Night Football, the first time that two teams not named the Arizona Cardinals played at State Farm Stadium. And it was a little bit odd, weird. You turn on the TV, MJ, and you're like, wait a second. I'm not there. I should be there. I've been there every single Sunday. And yet, you're sitting on the couch watching two teams in your building. Although that's you know probably more of a coaching and players situation. But uh, we all understand why. Just... Just, just a little odd for me, but that is 2020, uh, as they say, in a nutshell. You know, when the the Niners announced that uh, they were going to obviously get an opportunity to play in Arizona, you know, you're the, all right, the Bills got to come back here, and their only loss in the last six games is the Hal Mary pass, a Hal Murray pass, and then, you know, from then they're hosting the Niners are hosting the. Um, Washington football team, and they are here in week two. So it's just kind of interesting where two teams, uh, the Bills and, and the Washington football team, are going to come back here for the second time. And obviously the results were different. And you, I just like where Josh Allen's at, Craig. Uh, you know, I thought he it's probably his best game as a pro. Um, he's been in the system now for three years with Brian Dable. And uh, I'm a big Robert Sale fan, the defensive coordinator, and going to that game, they were fourth overall in pass defense, and Richard Sherman got abused last night. Yeah, we'll get into the nuts and bolts. 34-24, the final. The Bills beat the 49ers. But on this topic of what the Arizona Cardinals have done, and Peter King wrote about it in his Football Morning in America column and then talked about it as well on his weekly podcast because he had a chance to talk with 49ers general manager John Lynch. And it is what is going on behind the scenes that the Arizona Cardinals have done. Not only are the Cardinals in the midst of a playoff race, the 49ers are as well, you occupy the same division, you're quote-unquote rivals, yet here is something that you go out of your way for the Cardinals to make your opponent feel welcome in your backyard. Here's John Lynch, the quote he gave to Peter King about what the Cardinals have done. Quote, My respect for Michael Bidwell was already immense. We're division rivals in the thick of this playoff thing, but what he's done, incredible. The first day we were here, I wanted to go walk the practice field and see how it was. It's like 7.15 a.m., and their groundskeeper, card sports turf manager Andy Levy, is on his knees there with two other people putting in our goalposts, and they had practice that day. I said, you got to take care of your own team. We'll figure this out. Andy said, 
Mr. Bidwell said, treat you guys like you're our team. And then Lynch finished off kind of heartwarming. And that is exactly what this is because when times are tough and you need to help someone else, and I hope we see more of it throughout our world, but uh, the Arizona Cardinals, and that's just not me as a homer or an employee or anyone that is with the Arizona Cardinals organization, uh, I am proud of what this franchise has done in the midst of a pandemic and continues to do not only here in the backyard of the Arizona Cardinals in their own community, but extending that out to the rest of the National Football League. Yeah, and you know, when it comes to the ownerships of all 32 clubs, it's like a fraternity. And you know, you, you obviously they're in the same division as us, but this is bigger than that. You know, allowing them to come here and finish out their season. You know, we'll see what happens in in January because, um, you know, obviously they had a move here because they weren't allowed to play there. So, yeah, it's just a fraternity, and, and I'm with you. I mean, you know, us getting a chance to work there the last couple of years, you know, uh, with, the, with everything going on with COVID and, and how they've taken care of us and we get tested once a week. Um, yeah, it, it's, just, it's nice to see, and it's nice to see people get recognized. Andy does a great job. You know, we're, we're at the stadium today and the field's outside and they were showing last night, you know, the Cardinals played the day before and then they were showing the game last night and, and, and they did a good job. I didn't see any slippage. Um, but again, I mean, that that's what you're supposed to do. And, and, and when I say that, you help somebody out and it's not about competition at this point. You're trying to get through because if it happened to us, you would hope somebody would do that for the Arizona Cardinals. 49ers will have one more game at least at least a home game here at State Farm Stadium. That's next week against Washington. They do play the Cardinals, quote-unquote, on the road December 26th, and then there's that possibility of another home game at State Farm Stadium for the 49ers that last weekend, January 3rd, when they'll host the Seattle Seahawks. So we know of at least two games home games, and then there's that quote-unquote road game against the Cardinals. So three games at State Farm Stadium, most likely, though, four games at State Farm Stadium to close out the season. Yeah. So Seattle's coming back here again? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, the uh, Everyone just returns. It's like an open invitation. Everyone come to State Farm Stadium in 2020. All right, speaking of State Farm Stadium, what we saw on Sunday with the Los Angeles Rams, I don't want to see the Rams back at State Farm Stadium. I'll just be honest with everyone. 38-28, we spent a lot of time on Monday talking about what did not happen for the offense. And before we put that topic to bed, there is another series of questions with this offense with respect to third down. And you hear it all the time. Third down is the money down. you got to be able to convert on third down to extend drives, to move the chains, to get to the other side of the field, to score points. And this Cardinals team in the last couple of weeks is not getting the job done on third down. On Sunday, they were just 4 of 12 on third down against the Rams, and all four of those conversions happened in the second half. But it's been a trend now. In the last five games, the Cardinals are converting on third down less than 42% of the time. They were about 44% through week seven when this offense was on a roll. So, yeah, it comes down to third down so you can stay on the football field. Yeah, and, you know, Justin Pugh got a chance to talk to the media today. And, you know, the Cardinals started off good. 
Um, I thought they were able to move the ball, but when you go four consecutive possessions, three and out, it's tough to get rhythm. It's tough to get anything going. And at some point, you got to get a first down. And, you know, some of those possessions, they were minus one yard. They really weren't able to move the football. So that has to change. You can't afford three conse- or four consecutive three and outs because that puts you behind the eight ball. And it starts early, though. It starts on first down. It starts on second down because I even went back and looked further as far as what are the Cardinals looking at when they get to third down, and specifically against the Rams. They were facing a lot of third and long, and I consider long nine or more yards. I mean, that's not, quote-unquote, manageable, as they say. Of the 12 third downs the Cardinals faced, half, six, were nine yards or more, and they failed to convert on any of those six. They were 0 of 6 on third down when they had to go nine or more yards to move the chains. You're making it more difficult on yourself, MJ, if you're not successful on first and second down, so all of a sudden third down becomes that word, quote-unquote, manageable. Yeah, and, and to me, you know, teams are throwing the ball more on first and second down, but Again, you should be able to pick up a first down if you get three plays. But when you're in third and nine or third and eight and more, it's not a manageable down. It's more of a passing down. And that at that point, then you got to worry about is the quarterback going to get hit? Are they going to? He's going to try to force a turnover there. So you got to be in three, uh, th- third and three, three, third and four. Those are manageable downs. Now you have an option to where you can run the ball or you can throw it. When you're at third and eight and more, you probably get a passing down, and then. You know, if you go three and out, you know, you don't take a lot of time off the clock. Your defense is on the field for half the game, it seemed like, if not more. So, And that's what happened. I mean, uh, the Rams ran a ton of plays, and their time of possession was overwhelming. And I think time of possession could be misleading. It's what you do when you get the football. And they were able to score points. And, you know, I thought the Cardinals came out in the second half. I think Kyler Murray started getting rid of the ball a little bit quicker. They did score 21 points in the second half. Yes, and that was something that should not be overlooked because this Rams defense during the entire season has not allowed second-half touchdowns and only 4.4 points per game in the second half, and here they score 21. Now, maybe those last seven points, that final touchdown by Dan Arnold, the game was out of reach. The Cardinals wanted to put a nice bow at the end of that contest. But to your point, yes, those first two scores specifically probably not sitting well right now with the Rams defense. No, and, and, you know, the Rams – you can make the case and going, you know, I always do research before we play a, the next opponent. They are ranked top five in every single category on defense. And they have a new coordinator in Brandy Staley. Um, obviously, it starts with Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers. They got the uh, the corner in Jalen Ramsey. And then Williams on the other side, he's playing really well. And then you look at Hill He's kind of a slot guy. So, yeah, I mean, when you're ranked in the top five in every single category, um, you could see why they were forcing some three and outs. But to me, when you go four consecutive three and outs, that's inexcusable. Yeah, it really puts not only the offense behind the eight ball, but the defense as well. They were on the field for almost 23 minutes 
in that first half and almost 39 minutes for the entire ball game to where then all of a sudden you look at the second half and the offense gets going, but then the defense couldn't get off the field because they couldn't get that stop after a Cardinals score. And we hear it a lot, at least I do, when you hear it in baseball, that quote-unquote shutdown inning. You score two, three, four runs, and then the onus comes on the pitcher the following half inning to put up a goose egg zero points so you as an offense can get back in the dugout to get up to bat and start maybe tacking on more runs and that's what did not happen in the second half because the Cardinals scored to pull to within 17-14 and then all of a sudden the Rams went on a nine play 75 yard drive Jared Goff one yard touchdown run the lead back up to 10. Kenyon Drake fourth quarter scores on a four yard touchdown run you pull to within three 24-21. Rams come back, answer with a seven-play, 76-yard drive, and all of a sudden the deficit is 10. You can't have that happen and expect to be able to, quote-unquote, play that complimentary football, but that perhaps second-half setback by the defense set up by being on the field too much in the first half. Yeah, I mean, the Rams ran 83 offensive plays, Cardinals ran 64. So that's 19 more plays, and then you look at time of possession in the first half uh, compared to the second half. Uh, there's a reason why they were to uh, pick up third downs. They were really good at, what, 9 of 15 on third downs, Correct. 60%. So, And the Cardinals only had four uh, third down conversions. Again, when you go three and out, that's going to affect your numbers over over, over the course of the game. So that's got to get better, and I'm sure that's something we're working on. We talk about a fast start, especially against a good opponent. You get a lead there, and then next thing you know, you look at the scoreboard, and the game's out of reach. You know, late in that, or I should say, maybe the middle part of the fourth quarter. Bird Gang, if you haven't already, we invite you to update to the latest version of the Cardinals mobile app today. The update features an all-new redesigned home screen experience. Visit azcardinals.com slash app for more. We touch on the defense because they were not without blame themselves on Sunday, and it goes back to what we were talking about offensively, and that is third down, getting off the field on third down. You touched on it. 9 of 15, the Rams converted 9 of their 15 third downs, including 6 of 9 in the first half. You get off the field on third down, then you're not on the field defensively for almost 23 minutes in the first half. So this defense needs to be better getting the opponents off the field. No matter how many times they're asked to do it, and no matter how long they might have had the chance to rest if the offense goes 3 and out. Yeah, and, you know, that's what we talk about, complimentary football. If the Cardinals can force some three and outs on defense and you can possess the ball and you go on some drives, that's complimentary football. Um, The defense makes a play and they give you good field position and you score, that's complimentary football. We just haven't seen that for the last three games. The nine third downs, the most allowed by a Cardinals defense this season and the 60% success rate, the highest second highest percentage allowed by the defense this season but almost half of those third down situations the Rams faced were third and here's the word again manageable four yards or less the Rams were six of seven on those third downs on Sunday and that is once again going back to being successful on first and second down yeah and as you pointed out uh, I think it was yesterday the Rams only punted one time and that was in the first quarter one time so you look at the uh, the Rams, um, you know, they punt, 
they, they well, t- first of all, their first drive was down by downs. Punt, touchdown, downs, touchdown, end of half. Field goal, touchdown, touchdown, miss field goal, end of game. I mean, they had 11 possessions. The Cardinals had 12 possessions. Yeah, it was uh, certainly on occasion the Rams made it look very, very easy. Yeah. And it's shown in just the numbers. And then you look at the overall numbers during the past five games for this defense. And because that's what we're looking at, this five-game stretch in which the Cardinals are one and four. They could do no wrong, it seemed like, through those first seven games heading into the bye week coming off the win against the Seahawks. It's been those games since the bye week, and defensively, they are allowing almost 51% successful rates on third down since week seven. And that, I um, know, is not sitting well with Vance Joseph because how many times do we hear him say, Third down defense, scoring defense, and red zone defense, those are the three statistics he's paying attention to. Yet, over the last five games, 50.8% success on third down are opponents against That's the too Cardinals. much. I mean, you got to get somewhere between 40 and 43%. You know, I know we're talking about you know a certain percentage, but, yeah, I mean, you look at the Cardinals' possessions in the first half. Touchdown, punt, 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 missed field goal. They come out on that 15-play drive, 75 yards. You get a touchdown, punt, touchdown, fumble, interception, and then touchdown. So, um, again, you have to be able to move the football in that first half knowing that they're they're going to score points. And they scored, what, 24 points in the second half? Correct. Yeah. That's too much. Too and much. And then as far as the big third-down conversion that I think a lot of people are pointing to is the third and eleven in which Gerald Everett had a 22-yard catch after Kenyon Drake had pulled the Cardinals to within three, 24-21 with 13-21 to play. However, got that wide open, I don't know. But a week ago, MJ, we were talking about a third and 12. Cam Newton running for the first down sticks, and then Isaiah Simmons with the late hit, and all of a sudden the Patriots are in field goal range. They win the ball game by three. This past week, it's third and 11. When you have that third and long, you have to be able to get off the field, and the Cardinals were in a perfect position to get off the field, put their offense back on the field, and all of a sudden you're down three with the ball in the fourth quarter of a game in which you've been thoroughly outplayed with a chance to steal a win against the Rams. Yeah, and that's the disappointing thing. You know, we knew going in, um, you know, obviously Sean McFay's had the Cardinals number, and I thought, you know, this is the year – at this point in time, you just hope to get a split because you lose the first game. But they were coming off a loss. I mean, they're still in contention to make the postseason. I mean, they're they're sitting, you know, where you start looking at what happens the last four games. But, yeah, I mean, it was a golden opportunity. And, you know, over the last three weeks, the Cardinals' offense ranks 30th in the NFL. And, you know, the Cardinals were averaging 29.3 the first nine games. They're averaging 22. The Cardinals were averaging three touchdowns at least in the first nine games. Now they're averaging 1.5. And Murray's not running the, the way he was running earlier in the season. Um, right now in the last three games, 15 carries for 61 yards, which is probably like four or five yards a pop. One more note on the defense and another troubling trend. And I want to get your take on this, and that is how the first half – uh, ball games are ending for the Cardinals. Too many times the defense is on the field and allowing a score 
right before they go into the locker room to try to think about what they need to do in the second half to either maintain the lead or come back and get the W. The Rams on Sunday scored a touchdown with 51 seconds left to go to make it a 14-7 ball game. You look at that touchdown, and now opponents have scored in the final two minutes of games eight times this season, four of those times touchdowns. And it's just, you know, and I know we make fun of Kyle Odegaard here because of the word momentum and you don't buy it. He doesn't buy it. But I do think there's something to be said about that possession right before you go into the locker room. Did you score? Do you have something to be happy about? Can you hang your hat on something to go into the locker room and come out into the second half and build upon that? And too many times opponents are doing that and the Cardinals haven't had their chance to do it. Well, and, you know, um, the Rams decided to def- defer, and then once you give up that possession, they're getting the ball in the second half. So it, 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 what they call is you double up. Yes. And now you're playing catch-up. So, I mean, just little things. And just as we talked on the Red Sea Report on Tuesday afternoon with Bertram Berry, he said as, as best as he, you know, we've talked about it is this missed opportunities and miscues. I mean, there's you know the penalties and the mental errors. Um, that's got to cut down because this, their margin for error right now, Craig, is very, very small. It's not like you know you can spot a team you know ten points to start the game, meaning they got they're up ten nothing because it's difficult for this team to come back like that. They got to keep it close to the vest. Yeah, Cardinals with just four games left to go, including one this weekend against the New York Giants. We'll continue to break down that matchup as the week progresses, but some leftovers here on this Tuesday edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, as we take a look at what has been going on wrong with this team over this three-game losing streak. And one item that certainly was glaring, and you pointed it out to me yesterday after the show was over because you can have a little bit more more time to kind of look at the statistics and then of course obviously the snap counts and Devon Kennard on Sunday played just 30 percent of the defensive snaps he was on the field for 25 of the 83 snaps in which the Cardinals defense was on the field and that is a little bit I wouldn't say concerning but it is eyebrow raising because here's someone you handpicked in the offseason to go get in free agency after he was unexpectedly released by the Detroit Lions. And here he is on a Sunday playing fewer snaps than Isaiah Simmons, who was on the field for 32. Now I know inside-outside linebacker, but you would expect Kennard to be in that rotation of a Marcus Golden and Hassan Reddick, and those two players are seeing 73 and 63 snaps, whereas... Kennard is just getting 25 snaps. Yeah, well, early in the season, I thought Kennard did a nice job setting the edge. Um, then he dealt with the COVID situation, but uh, he spoke to the media on Tuesday, and I'm reading a tweet from our colleague, Kyle Odegaard. He says, Devon Kennard hasn't played more than 30% of the defensive snaps since week seven to his lesser role. And Kennard said, to be completely honest, it's frustrating. I want to be out there as much as I can to try to help this team win. I do think bringing in Marcus Golden has limited some of his snaps. And obviously Reddick is a starter. Um, but it's, I think it's a good dilemma to have when you got three or four guys you can rush the passer. So it's not ideal. Um, I'm sure they all want to play. But Isaiah Simmons played 32 snaps, which is 39%. Byron Murphy, 
He only played 33 snaps, which is 40%, and that's your first and second round pick from a year ago and, and also this year. And again, we know that Simmons, you know, it's a lot more about sub packages, but Byron Murphy, he, you know, back in the first month of the season, he was playing every single snap. The only guy that played every single snap in that game was Patrick Peterson. Now, Jordan Hicks played 82 snaps, Buda Baker 80, uh, Banjo 79, Hassan Reddick getting starter uh, reps, played 88% of the snaps. So, you know, Drake Patrick's out there, Marcus Golden, Devondre Campbell. So, interesting how they're divvying up this because you would think in your perfect uh, defense in the secondary, you have Buda Baker, right now Chris Banjo, you have Kirkpatrick on the outside, Peterson, and Murphy in the inside. And that's kind of their, their – their, when teams go 11 personnel, that's their base defense. Everyone wants to be on the field, and I understand the frustration Kennard feels and acknowledged earlier today. He also did add, quote, I'm a team player, and he is willing to do whatever is asked of him as long as it helps the team win. But you go back to that week seven, that is the Thursday night game against the Seattle Seahawks in which the Cardinals won 37-34 in overtime. Excuse me, that was the Sunday night game against the Seattle Seahawks in which they won 37-34. Then the bye week. Well, Kennard tested positive for COVID-19 during that bye week. He was on the shelf and working his way back. Is it? He says now he feels fine, had no symptoms. He was actually very open and honest uh, with the uh, media earlier today, and you can expect a story up on azcardinals.com real soon here today, if not already by the time you listen to this edition of Cards Cover 2. But he was... In his words, lucky that he did not have any symptoms, but he was isolated from everyone for 10 days, missing time with the his teammates, missing time with his family, and not able to do a lot of working outs or conditioning to where maybe these fewer snaps that we're seeing him and the less time on the field is a process to work him back into the mix after testing positive for COVID-19. Yeah, he said he quarantined himself for 10 days. He There was a park next to him where he tried to get outside and make, you know, do a little conditioning, but really he was just doing push-ups and crunches um, being quarantined. So it does take the body to get back to you know NFL rigors where you're going to get hit, hit every week and your body's going to feel it. So maybe that's the case, but um, to me – um, I like the rotation there. Unfortunately for him, I just think he's behind Reddick and Marcus Golden at this point in time. Speaking of rotation, as we continue here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And a reminder, Bird Gang, subscribe to Arizona Cardinals Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Listen to your favorite shows on the go, like Cardinals Underground, The Big Red Rage, The Cardinals Red Sea Report, and, of course, this show, Cardinals Cover 2. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast for more information. I noticed it throughout the entire game on Sunday. Maybe it's just me and the way I operate, trying to look for any little details on things that might happen during the course of a ball game. But the amount of shuffling and the rotation on the offensive line was certainly eye-opening here in Week 13. Typically, you see a rotation shuffle on the defensive line or in the linebacking core or in the secondary. But there are two positions that you typically don't see a rotation, quarterback and offensive line. Yeah, and according to Justin Pugh, they did a little bit of this last year. And I think, you know, I trust Sean Coogler. And, 
you know, maybe they're trying to keep these guys fresh, but it's very unusual to rotate. The two guys that played the entire game were both left tackle and right tackle, Humphreys and Beecham. And then you start looking at Mason Cole. He played 48 snaps, which is 75%. Pugh played 47, which is 73%. Sweezy, 42, 66%. Murray, 39 snaps, 61%. And Lamont Gilliard, he played 16 snaps, would have been 25%. So, um, you know, I got no issue bringing in an extra lineman, you know, Josh Jones, if he's the guy, or, you know, somebody else, maybe Justin Murray. But I'd like to know more about, you know, why they're doing this because, again, I trust Sean Coogler, and if he feels like guys are wearing down. Now, I listened to Max Starks on on KTR on on Tuesday morning. He's on there uh, weekly, and he thought they were trying to throw different combinations at the the Rams' defensive line, and and I get that, but they're rotating. And so, uh, again, that's very unusual where you don't have the same five guys. Again, you can bring in an extra blocker. You can go mass protection with a couple tight ends. So I'm curious to see if it's something we're going to watch down the down the stretch here because I still think it's, that's one position, as you pointed out, besides the quarterback, that's one position you don't rotate players. You talk about continuity and five guys working together as a team, but you have changes. You're moving parts, and then all of a sudden it's a different communication, different verbal cues, different nonverbal cues. Yes, they're all very good, and we're talking about Lamont Gilliard and Justin Murray. Now with Murray, he had not played over the past three games because of a hand injury, and he started three games when J.R. Sweezy was on IR. So maybe you're trying to work him back in. I just It just felt strange at that point in the ballgame or the when it first happened, and it was pretty consistent through the entire ballgame. I counted it up. Seven times over 12 possessions, there was some shuffling along the offensive line. And, you know, trying to get a spark or do something different, I just don't think you do that at that position on the offensive line. Are we at the point now because Kyler Murray is struggling, you bring out Chris Strebler just to change things up and give it a spark? I mean, maybe that's an over-exaggeration, but I don't know what the difference is between doing that and what they did on the offensive line. Let's try to keep everyone fresh. Yeah, I'm with you. And to me, if if they don't have a, you know, a play for fourth and one for the quarterback um, – and, you know, we're, I'm sure it's going to be brought up. Does um, Kyler Murray need to be underneath center? Um, because to me, it's when you're in the shotgun, it's a little bit different. And I still think the shotgun's going to be the majority of the time because of the RPOs and the zone reads. But why does Shreveler on the, uh, active on game day? I, I, I know, you know, two weeks ago I thought, um, you know, it was a shortened a fourth and one or something. I'm like, eh. If they if they make if they do this and it doesn't work, uh, Kingsbury is going to get criticized because why are you taking Kyler Murray off the field? And sometimes Kyler Murray eventually is a wide receiver, but you want to have your the ball in your playmaker's hands. But Chris Streveler, he's got a different body type, and to me, if he's the backup quarterback on game day and they're only dressing two. I would try to utilize him. Uh, again, two weeks ago, I was hesitant to say they should use Strevler. I was. We talked about it during the week because of Murray's injury and the shoulder, protect him a little bit more. But if you're getting in these short yardage situations, Chris Strevler, every time he's been in the game, he's been underneath center. 
And I want to be clear, Bird Gang, in no way am I advocating or saying Kyler Murray should be on the sidelines while Chris Streveler is taking snaps and running this offense. I'm just trying to make a comparison because you just don't typically see this kind of rotation. Yet, I'll go back to what you said. Sean Kugler, the offensive line coach, he knows a heck of a lot more about the game and about that position group than I do. It's just strange to see. Justin Pugh asked about it earlier today, said they did it last year. Well, remember, last year was a five-win season. It was a lost year as far as shooting for the playoffs. You're in week 13, and you're rotating offensive linemen where the playoffs are at stake. You're trying to get back into that picture, and yet here you are. You're disrupting things, at least in my mind, in my opinion. That's what it seemed like to me. Well, to me, when you get five guys in unisec, okay, so Humphreys, he'll know tendencies for Pugh and then Pew and Cole no tendencies, and then Sweezy and Cole no tendencies, and then Sweezy and Calvin Beecham. They, I mean, again, not saying Justin Murray, he's had enough starts to where you know his skill set and his upside and some of his weaknesses. Lamont Gilliard, I mean, he's a guy that usually comes in if somebody gets hurt in the game. Um, so, again, I, I, st- I still prefer to go, them to go with their five guys, but, again, I trust Sean Kugler. But that's just one unit where you have to know who's next to you. What is his strength? What is his weakness? Can I help out? When you start mixing and matching, I think it's a little bit more difficult to kind of figure out who's next to you, and that should not be the case. Lamont Gilliard replaced Mason Cole on three drives. Justin Murray was on the field for six drives, four at right guard, two at left guard. Maybe we're making more of a big deal out of it than it is, but uh, it was something that was noticeable is, once again, when you're in the midst of a losing streak and this is now three straight games in which the Cardinals are on the wrong end of a contest you start looking at things and then picking apart things and that's well that's what we're doing here on this Tuesday edition of Cardinals coverage yeah I mean when when you're you haven't been successful and the offense is is kind of stuck in gear right now and according to Kyle Murray you hit a wall yeah I mean I, I I'm all for trying something different but to me having the same five guys up front makes the total sense. But again, they have more information than I do, so we'll have to wait and see how it materializes over these next couple of weeks. Well, before we sign off here on this Tuesday and let everyone get back to their day jobs here on this week 14 or soon to be week 14 as the Cardinals will play at the New York Giants coming up on Sunday. Where do the Cardinals stand right now here with respects to the NFC West and the NFC? In the division, they are third. Behind the Rams, who have the same record as the Seattle Seahawks, both those teams are 8-4, and four, but the Rams in first place because they win the head-to-head tiebreaker. We know the Rams knocked off the Cardinals on Sunday. The Seahawks, a surprising home loss to the Giants, 17-12, to and that certainly raised a lot of eyebrows. We'll get into why the Giants look so good as the week goes on because now that's the next opponent for the Cardinals, but... The Seahawks and what they did not do, and specifically Russell Wilson, all of a sudden is let Russ cook on the back burner because he's doing a lot, being asked to do a lot, and is not coming through. No, and they were able to get to the quarterback. I mean, his his pro football focus grade was 54.3. I don't know if it's ever been that low. And, you know, you, you look at the Seahawks' remaining schedule. They play the Jets at Washington. They host the Rams and then at the 49ers. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, but Jets and Washington, I know Washington, that's a quality win for Ron Rivera. 
and Alex Smith, a great story there, probably the comeback player of the year. And then when I look at the Rams, they play on Thursday night against uh, the Patriots. Uh, the Patriots are staying on the West Coast. They're at UCLA. Uh, they could just got done blowing out the Chargers 45 nothing. They got the Jets, Seahawks, and Cardinals. And as for Arizona, Giants, Eagles, 49ers at Rams in Week 17. So here's what we know. If the season ended today, the Cardinals would not be in the playoffs. They lost to Los Angeles, dropped the Cardinals to the number 8 seed in the conference, losing a tiebreaker to the Vikings based on Minnesota having a better win percentage in common games. Yeah, and those common games are the fact that the Vikings are 2-2 two and two in common opponents. They beat the Lions, beat the Panthers, lost to the Cowboys, lost to the Seahawks. Now the Cardinals lost to the Lions lost to the Panthers, lost to the Seahawks, beat the Cowboys, beat the Seahawks. So five games in common opponents for the Cardinals. So while the Vikings are 2-2, two and two, the Cardinals are 2-3, and three, and because they have a sub-500 record, that's why they're in the eighth spot, despite having the same number of wins, same number of losses, and the same conference record at 4-4. Four and four. That's why the Cardinals are on the outside looking in looking up at the Minnesota Vikings, who certainly have their own issues as far as the schedule ahead. And you can debate who has a tougher schedule or not. I've seen it both ways to where the Cardinals have a better percentage to get in than the Vikings because the Vikings are on the road at Tampa, at New Orleans, at Detroit with a game against the Bears at home in a couple of weeks. But, shoot, you can make the same case for the Cardinals as far as strength of schedule based on what the Cardinals have done over this past five-game stretch. Yeah, so if Arizona wins this week against the Giants, it doesn't matter – um, because Minnesota and Tampa, um, one's got to lose and one's got to win, you know. So at that point, Arizona w- overtakes the, the loser from that game, you know. So we'll see. But according to Football Outsiders, Cardinals have a 46.6% chance, Vikings 28-1, Bears 15, and the 49ers 11.9. Now let's look because we spent a lot of time last week talking about, forget about the teams ahead of the Cardinals, but what are the teams behind the Cardinals? And there are four teams all at 5-7, and seven, Bears, Lions, 49ers, and Washington. In that order as far as the order is concerned within the NFC West. The 49ers had an opportunity to go to 6-6, but as we talked about, they lost to the Bills on Monday Night Football 34-24. They have now lost 4 of 5. They could not follow up their win over the Rams, but no faults of the 49ers' offense. Nick Mullins, three touchdowns. He did get picked off twice, but they just could not keep pace with the Bills' offense and Josh Allen. But the Bears, Lions, 49ers, and Washington, none of those teams really scare you, but at this point, the Cardinals can't be in any position to say, well, we can't worry about X team because of X, Y, and Z. Because if you're the Bears, Lions, 49ers, or Washington, you're looking at the Cardinals based off this five-game stretch saying, why should we worry about the Cardinals? Because they are on the wrong end of a slide here that has put them at 500 for the first time since early in the season. And I mentioned last week, normally when they fire a head coach and, and he was kind of a dictator there and you could see former and current players were happy when – you know, obviously they have more um, interaction with Matt Patricia, so they're allowed to voice their opinion. Um, but Daryl Bevel, I mean, I, we'll see what they do because he, I always think when you fire a coach and you go with a guy's a little bit different personality, players gravitate to that. So, you know, but I just think the Bears, I mean, 
Their defense is really good, but, you know, between Trubisky and we'll see what that latest is on Nick Foles. In Washington, I mean, Washington, um, you look at their record right now, they're 5-7. and seven. They have the same record as Detroit. So I, I And then the Giants right now, they're 5-7. and seven. They got the same record as Detroit. So to me, um, those are the teams you have to jump uh, if, if you want to get into the postseason. Well, I think everyone is in agreement that the Bears are going to continue to slide. They yes. can't get out of their own way right now. You do have to worry about the Lions because of that week three game in which the Cardinals at yeah. home lost to Detroit 26-23 and how adamant I was and upset I was over that game and you at the time oh you know what it's just you know you're going to lose some games it's not that big a deal and now all of a sudden here we are in December and that game if the Lions can get on a run they've got to play the Packers they're on the road at the Titans then they're home to the Buccaneers and Vikings they have three home games over these final four games if they get on a roll and are sitting there tied with the Cardinals Lions are in, and the Cardinals are out because of a week three loss. Yep, and then you know Carolina right now, uh, they're four and eight, pretty much out of it. But we can go back to that loss too. Yes, if they get on a roll, and all of a sudden, you know, I didn't put them on my quote unquote radar just because of their one loss record. Right, but you're you have to start paying attention to this as far as head-to-head. You know, if Washington gets on a roll and they surprise San Francisco next week at State Farm Stadium and they build on what they were able to do over the previously undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. But remember, the Cardinals beat Washington in Week 2. It's a sure sign as anything else in the National Football League, MJ, that every game matters, every week matters. That's why you have to go in Week 1 saying, to a certain extent, must win. Then next week, must win, because here we are in December looking back to games that happened in September. Yeah, and usually you're going to have one of those duds, and I thought this year the dud game was against the Carolina Panthers. They admitted they came out flat. I think they just thought what a new head coach and you know a college uh, defensive coordinator, but we know about Joe Brady, and they ran a similar offense to the Saints. So, um, you know, you can do this every single year, but – now we're now it's real to where, you know, you look at the uh, conference records for some of these teams ahead of the Cardinals. The Saints eight and one, Green Bay seven and two, Rams eight and two, Giants four and six, Seattle six and three. Then you got Tampa, uh, Minnesota, and Arizona at four and four. We always talk about you know scratching out home wins, uh, division games, and conference games, and and, and the, also the AFC games count. But, you know, in this situation, they lost to the, the Chicago. I'm sorry, they lost to Detroit and Carolina, and that's going to come back to haunt you if this team does not get back in the postseason or get back to the postseason. Yeah, we always say division games count twice as much, but yep. conference games maybe not twice, but maybe one and a half, especially if you get into the situation where you're looking at the Vikings, the Lions, and Washington, all these teams play one another, and you're going to best percentage in common opponents. That's the tiebreaker the Cardinals find themselves in right now as far as why they're an eight and the Vikings are a number seven. Uh, that Vikings schedule is difficult. At Tampa Bay, home to the this Bears, week, yep. at New Orleans, at Detroit. So while the Lions have three home games, one road game over this final four stretch, the Vikings are on the road for three games with one home game against the Bears. Yeah, and that's not easy. I know there's no home field advantage this year, and that's why I I was reading Bruce Aarons because they're coming off a bye week, and he thinks his team's well-rested, ready to go. And he said, you know, 
we're, we just want to get in the dance. There's nobody's going to have home field advantage. And you start looking at the NFL this year when it comes to, you know, uh, different records and all that other stuff. Ready for this? Road teams, 96, 94, and 1, including road teams last week were 10 and 4. So, you know, usually if you got to have to go to Pittsburgh or, you know, Kansas City, you know, I think Seattle ha- hasn't benefited from no fans because of the 12th man. Kansas City, that place can get loud in December and January. So, really, for the most part, um, you know, you got Pittsburgh and Kansas City with one loss each. Unfortunately, they don't play each other. Um, but for the most part, I mean, if teams feel like if you can get into dance, it's not so much going on the road. It's about who's the better team at that moment. Every game matters, and the biggest game for the Cardinals right now is what's coming up this Sunday at the New York Giants. We'll begin to discuss Joe Judge's team, who is on a or has his team on a four-game winning streak. That all ahead coming up on Wednesday. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.